good morning. Welcome to the start of a new day and a new episode of Dura. My name is Marike Broekman and I'm a neurosurgeon from the Netherlands. I interview neurosurgeons about what keeps them up at night. In our last episode, we had the pleasure of talking to Faith Robertson, who left us with some valuable advice. I would really try to like focus and center yourself each day and, and think about how you can best play a role. Today, we're talking about the role of the European Association for Neurosurgical Societies, the EANS, with the one and only Carl Schaller, a professor and chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery at the Geneva University Medical Center and the Faculty of Medicine. He's also the current president of the EANS. Good morning, Carl. How did you sleep? Morning, Marike. In fact, it wasn't bad at all until around four o'clock when I had a brief encounter with one of my cats. And then I had trouble sleeping in again for not so much, but I was uh, maybe half an hour, one hour. I was a bit nervous about the podcast, I must admit. And then, of course, like many of us, uh, when I talk to my colleagues at the same age, we are always worried about something. So I worry a bit. Tonight was not so bad. Maybe 45 minutes up and worrying. And then, then in fact, I dreamt about a congress with the colleagues. <laughs> that was the last memory I have. Uh, do you miss the conference with your colleagues? I miss a lot of the conference with my colleagues, yeah. So it was something happy that, yeah, <laughs> that was, you woke up with. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that you worry uh, every now and then, that you're up at night sometimes worrying about things. Is the COVID situation currently worrying you? This is worrying me as well um, because it strikes us a lot in Geneva. I don't know if you followed the news, but Geneva was even in the Russian news for several minutes as <clears throat> some sort of a corona hotspot in Europe. The uh, situation in Geneva is a bit different from other big hospitals in Europe in as much as we are uh, the only big hospital for the whole canton. It's like a city-state. So whatever uh, is being diagnosed as a COVID positive has to come to our hospital. As a total, we have uh, more than 2,000 beds, I believe, including huge psychiatry. However, uh, currently we already take care of more than 600 COVID-positive patients. And we have a maximum capacity of 840. And this maximum capacity will probably be reached within the next 10 days to come. And then the situation will become very tricky. So I had to shut down all elective surgery. We had to outsource part of our spine program to private clinics, but of course only emergency cases. And cranial surgery is reduced to a minimum, for example, malignant tumors and, of course, patients with head trauma or progressive neurological deficits. However, uh, activity has slowed down to an extent, and the transformation of the hospital toward COVID lazarette is, um, is taking place. I even had to dispatch my junior doctors, quite a few of them, to help the internists and the infectiologists and the intensivists to take care of the COVID patients. So we are frozen for the time and, of course, anxiously looking forward to what's going to happen if we will surpass the 840 maximum capacity of uh, COVID, COVID patients. 
But what is worrying me as well is, of course, uh, and I published on it in the ACTA earlier this year, that I believe that we are also inducing considerable collateral damage on society. Um, first of all, we are missing out patients who are, for example, my elective epilepsy surgical patients who are continuing to having seizures unless they move on to Zurich or to Bern or elsewhere to be operated. Uh, university hospitals, which are not as much impacted by the situation as us. And otherwise, this overall situation with a partial lockdown and whatsoever, um, the socioeconomic deprivation is taking place, which is unprecedented. In our department in on neuroscience together, we had three attempts of suicide during the earlier lockdown already. Two were completed. So what is happening goes far beyond um, the only the infectiology situation. It has a huge impact, uh, including significant collateral damage. And I'm asking myself if all these measures are really necessary and not creating a big damage in themselves and by themselves. And what do you think we can do as European neurosurgeons? Well, we, of course... <laughs> have to adapt to the situation, which is regionally extremely different. Um, we have to learn about the neurological impact of COVID, this is for sure. We must stay, which I believe is more important than ever, extremely connected. We have to help out each other. I had some patients I couldn't operate during the early lockdown in springtime. I had to accompany them and or transfer them to, to friends of mine who could take care of them. So connectivity and good relation without taking advantage of the difficult situation of others. Yeah, so you say it's super important to stay connected. And what would normally we do this by going to conferences, to yeah. teach together, to um, uh, by doing things like that. So what are things we can do now, uh, given the current lockdown? Yeah, um, give you an example. Earlier this year, I had to do some virtual teaching rounds in the U.S. And I was asked to also present the current situation in Europe. And what impresses me is the um, not really the ENS connectivity, the friendship, and also the, um, the reliability of these people. So within 24 hours, I sent out a, a survey to my ENS friends. There was more than 30 uh, department heads involved from Rovesaka, uh, Moscow, uh, Oslo, everywhere south of Europe. And within 24 hours, I had all more than 30 surveys completely filled up, um, which is, in my opinion, very impressive and shows how close we are to each other, how much we help each other. And I could ramp up data, uh, significantly and important data on the currently ongoing situation within 24 hours. And this is, I think, something we have to cultivate maybe even more. And this is something which should include even those of our colleagues who are uh, lesser accessible. Um, this is also something which came to my mind in the context of our Congress, which took place only one week ago, two weeks ago the ENS Virtual Congress, ENS 2020. Um, we are now a group of 40 country societies uh, or associate societies, 
and individual members now thousands. And um, unfortunately, some of them do not have the same access and availability of tools such as us now with podcast recording. Um, so it is a core group, which is always very, very active, which includes you and the other of the team whom you happen to know. But how to get our Armenian friends on board? What happened in Bosnia? What's going on in Kazakhstan? Um, so here we must be careful not to lose them. And we have to think about how we <clears throat> may assure that they stay connected as well. Because this community gives a great, great backup emotionally and scientifically and also strategically. So we have to make sure that we will not lose our sort of peripheral colleagues. Do you agree that it's not only important to connect with our uh, colleagues uh, that are uh, in remoter areas, but also with uh, younger generation? I often hear, I've, I want to be active in the, in the EANS, but how can I contribute? What would you say to those people? And what would you do to... Um, to make sure that everyone feels part of this uh, society. So according to my experience, everyone who is part of this family never leaves it again because it's a fascinating group of people and you know it yourself as you're part of it yourself. Um, so in order to drag in others, I compared with, well, I play the piano, but I don't practice as often as I did in the past. So what happens? I play the same stuff all the time. So in order to improve and to expand, of course, I have to sacrifice. The same applies if we would like to broaden our horizon and reach out to other people who are not yet well aware of what we are doing or who might want to become part of it, but they don't know how to get in. So this is uh, something we may achieve across the generations um, through strong collaboration with the young neurosurgical team. This is exactly what's happening these days. We just finished a survey and even we have written up the manuscript on the use of social media in neurosurgery in Europe. And there seem to be important cultural differences and generational differences. So the young neurosurgeons are key because uh, the sort of the, the old guys, um, be them old, privileged, uh, ex-Carter um, people uh, in their 70s, and us, we may always meet um, because we were privileged enough to travel. <laughs> However, the youngsters, they must be uh, taken care of or included by and through the website and through social media And this is how we are. We push the button of the young neurosurgical team, which is currently spearheaded by Christian Freischlag, Arian Nuri, Martin Steen, and there's a whole bunch of young people who are reaching out, making this more accessible. And this is, in my opinion, the way to go. And are you so? Are you active on social media? Uh, I wasn't until I was. I asked my guys in the department to try everything and to also to launch this survey. So um, this is why uh, finally our department uh, went on Twitter and Instagram, everything. And because I, I was totally disabled, I didn't know how to open it. <laughs> Then I had to open my own 
Instagram account. So, but, uh, um, just to understand how to get in and this Twitter thing. So, but I'm never Twittering anything, and my Instagram account is very private. Even has another name, but at least it allows me to follow what's going on in the neurosurgery Instagram account. So we launched. This is not long ago. We don't have these habits. It's more widespreadly used, of course, in the US, in the Anglo-Saxonian countries such as England. Our paper has just been uh, out, no, not out, the manuscript is submitted, and we see big differences, even uh, in the use of Facebook versus Twitter versus Instagram, depending on the culture of origin of the, of the users or of the countries. Very interesting. But obviously, a young generation like that and the young neurosurgeons they have to serve as an articulation for us to connect with those in other countries where maybe they don't have all an apple ibook of the latest generation but uh, samsung or whatever um, smartphone most of them of course are using mm -hmm. so what are other things that you find a little bit like you're like hmm this is outside my comfort zone but you still do it anyway because you think it might be good for neurosurgery or your department well i i do things out of my comfort zone every day especially currently i have to assist many <clears throat> many meetings which in fact have nothing to do with neurosurgery but of course they are um part of the misery management However, what um, was out of my comfort zone, yeah, there's a few bigger projects which I'm following or following up. There was first the creation of this. Um, this is really out of my comfort zone. It became a bit entrepreneurial. Um, the creation of the foundation, this, uh, the, um, the Surgical uh, Training and Innovation Foundation in Geneva, a huge training center, very high end. And... Um, we have ramped up this as a hands-on and simulator training center which is really if you happen to come on some of the ens hands-on courses took place already and due to the location in geneva it's very easy to be accessed and it's maintained it's really super high-end like the small aircraft version uh, uh, however of course it's also expensive and now the current year of course has brought significant changes in our travel habits so the uh, revenue of this uh, institute where i'm currently vice presiding uh, vice president um of course there's almost no revenue or very little revenue and so we had to also we had to move to uh, virtual media we had to translate um our our, um, our online courses we are working on blockchain accreditation so we we changed the whole scope just to keep everyone busy not to lay anyone off and this is honestly out of my comfort zone because i'm partly responsible for that and of course i don't want to leave a deficit for something which is in my opinion a key element in surgical education and innovation so this is out of my comfort zone other things out of my comfort zone yeah um i'm since three years i'm also chairing the um the overall department of clinical neurosciences in Geneva and as you may know or not know there's a huge hub for neurosciences in Geneva uh, which was triggered by by billiardaires uh, money and uh, they want to build a brain CERN or whatsoever and now we are trying to uh, develop common denominators in order to have sort of significant research projects very visible ones and 
here I'm asked now to talk to people sometimes I'm not really so comfortable with, yeah? super scientists or, or billiardaires <laughs> um, who want a clear opinion on what is feasible and not. They want timelines, they want budgets. Um, this is a mix between uh, yeah, science and yeah, and selling. I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, it's sometimes it's it's um, uh, it's a thin line where you're walking on uh, crest. However, um, it's also very interesting and also to very interesting and and uh, rewarding to talk to such people and also to have very intelligent and enhanced people around who may develop a common goal and then poof. Uh, go for it. So this is very interesting, especially since I'm not doing so many surgeries this year due to the COVID situation. You have also time to take on new challenges, you mean? I compared it with, we would all be living in like an Edward Hopper painting. So it looks, <laughs> at first sight, it looks very colorful and nice, but when you look a little closer, it, it appears very cold and empty. And I see this in many people around myself we have an absence rate of 15 percent at the nurses level so the motivation of people goes down the longer this is going on and uh, i have to also to give a tact or a rhythm to myself in order to stay awake and to keep going for whatever it might be as now at my age or even if you're a bit younger in our positions I think we have a lot of qualities, and even if we have to go a bit sideways, we may still be of value for society and do something useful and uh, go for other projects if necessary. So one of the things you're doing this year uh, is you're the current president of the EANS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you joked a bit about it during the last meeting. Yeah, virtual, pre virtual president. president. Yeah. What do you feel that you can? You've done a lot as a president. Mm -hmm. You've um, uh, made the congress uh, available to everyone, and it mm -hmm. was the best attended conference ever. Uh, you started the foundation. You just uh, mentioned. Mm -hmm. What are other things you feel you? want to do you should do uh, during your presidency yeah you know me i'm also a very social person and i'm missing the personal direct interaction however given the current situation well i had to to take advantage of that so the whole scope the whole profile has changed And so I'm far less visible than I might have dreamed. Oh, now the president comes, we have a wine together and we give a speech. This is over. <laughs> okay, this is not the way to go. But um, I must say that um, given the situation, we have really made the best of it. The team is amazing. We didn't know the Arteon office team until about two years ago, but they're really amazing, totally effective. Before, the ENS office was scattered around all over Europe. Now we have a core group of people who are sitting in the same room and communicating with each other in a direct and straight way. And of course, we have now a new collaborator in Brussels at the uh, European Heart of Darkness. And um, then we have Visi still for the courses. Everyone is active 
and supportive, including our IT department. The board has been amazing. We meet very often on Zoom, and all this has facilitated to make, in my opinion, to be very disruptive and do very big projects. Um, um, they may have gone a bit unnoticed, but they exist, and they will make great changes or big changes. First of all, I don't know if you happen to move to the website once in a while, but we launched the initiative of all European journals. We brought together, that was just before lockdown in January last year, uh, I went to Charité, uh, we met in Berlin Mitte, and we brought a big part of all European neurosurgical chief editors together around one table. And then we launched the new initiative. So the idea behind was to have only one big European journal. But of course, all the cultural differences, so in, in the end, it would never work out. So we decided, okay, let's bring all journals together on the website of the ENS. Have the ENS functioning as a hub for neurosurgical knowledge. And now if you click on the website, you see uh, Pierrot's journal, the French journal, you see Marco Fontanella's journal from Italy, you see ACTA, Tiet Madison, the chief editor, you see Fighter's journal, you see Neurosurgical Review, Ulysture, you see the Spanish journal, the Russian journal, the Ukrainian, the Polish, they're all only one click away. And this has never been the case before. And in parallel to that, um, we spoke about connectivity, we are now um, building a website with all information of all membership countries by one click. I would like us to become the Google of neurosurgery. You move to our website, you want to know who is a, what a, a chief neurosurgeon in Katowice or wherever, <laughs> then you move to the map, you click on it, and you find it. And um, so this progress, this is still work in progress, but considerable uh we've gone far already and i think this is a real pleasure to see how this evolves and yeah and other projects you know about it of course uh this was the most difficult project for me since uh, i took over the presidency was the creation of a new journal um in many hours were spent with external advisors with publishing companies with uh, potential editors and finally as you know we are not we will launch this journal in fact from ENS side with one of your colleagues in Netherland Wilco Poil will become the ENS chief editor and we will join forces with Eurospine and we will ramp up our own big European online journal which will be called Brain and Spine a joint journal of Eurospine and ENS but there was tremendous work, also legal work, negotiations with publishers. Um, and I hope, or I believe in the first, uh, in springtime 2021, we will be ready to go online. And I hope you and others who are listening to us now will submit their articles to the journal. You mentioned you've, well, all the projects you've started and working on and actually brought to a finish line. Um, what would you do differently if you were to start over? Not much. I was lucky enough to meet the right people at the right time. Uh, I believe I, I, at that time, I think I did the right thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would not do anything different in retrospect. If I was young, maybe I would have a different scope. 
I would maybe go to the brain computer in a phase more functional or whatever. But I think at, at my time, I did what I liked and I worked very hard for it. And I was lucky enough to meet people who never tried to change me. I, Johannes Schramm, who was sort of my longest, uh, the teacher for the longest time and my mentor, he never tried to have an impact or influence my personality. He let me go. He let me do, and he gave support. Um, and that allowed me to progress in a way which in another place, and this is where I think luck or chance plays a role, I would never have had the chance to develop in that way. And what would your advice be for medical students or residents that are listening to this podcast? Follow follow exactly what do you what you want. You you have to you have to burn for something and you have to find someone who will put oil in your fire. And then sacrifice and go. That's it. Don't be and don't stagnate. If you can't move forward for For three months or six months, this is okay. Things may change, but don't become a complainer. Enough if after one year, well, life is too short to spend one or two years with incompatible people. Move, move elsewhere, do something else. And even if it doesn't work out in neurosurgery, you just find something else. It doesn't make anyone a bad person who wants to become a neurosurgeon, but he may not really be successful. He can do something else and be become a leader in whatever he wants to. And um, Coming back to the channel again, if you allow me into the foundation, um, I think this is a good example where we will build for our community because we will try to waive all article processing costs for our individual members, which will be very important to build a community bottom-up, which will include our students, our doctorate students, and our young residents, and help them to publish. And the foundation, I believe, is something um, which will carry on a lot longer and a lot further because this will allow us to to, um, to accrue money, um, hopefully significant money. This is something I had learned in Switzerland where such foundation culture exists and um, where we may able, be able to uh, develop uh, interesting lines of research and help those amongst us also more in the eastern countries who have lesser access to um, to AAA funding for the ERC uh, Royal Society or whatsoever to participate. So connectivity and energy, good energy. This is important for us. Yes. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. And thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about neurosurgery and connection in neurosurgery, maybe even connect to other neurosurgeons yourself, please visit us at www.ens.org. I hope to connect with you in two to four weeks. For now, have a great day.